Hi, good morning. I was uh, thanking God this morning just for technology and just how wonderful this is that uh, we can still fellowship and still be together in these times and uh, definitely a unique time. But I'm here at home uh, in my office and I'm speaking to you in your homes, which is absolutely fantastic. So uh, praise the Lord for that. And even just during times like this, what I wanted to talk about was how do we deal with times like this? How do we go through worry and fear and anxiety and all these things that come with? So um, that's what's going to be the focus today. And so just to start out, I have a question for you. What has this past month been like for you? Have you been anxious? Have you been worried? Have you been fearful? If you haven't been some of these, then this past month, then I'm assuming that you don't have a TV or you don't have a computer or a cell phone or you don't know anybody who has any of these things, right? Because the entire world has been experiencing uh, this fear, anxiety, and worry this past month. And there's been great loss worldwide this last month. There's been loss of health. There's been loss of life. There's been loss of money. There's been this loss of stability, this loss of a sense of control, and loss of a sense of freedom. And whenever that happens, there goes along with it a loss of peace. And this morning, I want to talk about this fear, worry, anxiety. And I want to look at what is the experience that we go through. What are the lies that fear, anxiety, and worry tell us? And what is the truth that God is telling us? And I want to look at how does God provide for us in these difficult situations? And then finally, what are some of the practical things that we do? What does God call us to do? So let me just pray for our time this morning, and we'll jump right in. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and we just uh, uh, thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is sovereign and in control, and that you are a God who gives us peace or during these times. And so we just pray this morning as we go through fear, worry, anxiety, and we look to see what your truths are and what you say about it. Just be with us this morning. Oh, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will be upon us, Lord, to open up our hearts, our ears, and our minds uh, to know you and to know what you are telling us. In your name, amen. All right, so... I want to start out right away and say that a lot of the material that I got, in fact, probably most of it, was from a book called Running Scared, Fear, Worry, and the God of Rest by a guy named Ed Welch. So this is what the uh, book looks like, and if you uh, are interested at all, I totally, totally encourage you to get this. Once again, author's name is Ed Welch. It's called Running Scared. Um, absolutely fantastic book that uh, kind of deals with this subject. So sometimes I'm going to quote him directly. Other times I won't. Um, just know that uh, that I am going to be using a lot of his stuff. If I quoted him every single time, I'd get pretty monotonous. And if I was going to do that, probably the easiest time would just do it like a story time, right? You get your blankies out, I get the book out, and we read it. But we don't want to do that. So just uh, just know that a lot of this stuff is from um, Ed Well. So what do we experience with fear and worry and anxiety? There's both this universal experience that we all have. And there's also an experience that is totally unique to everyone because everyone is different. So let's look at the universal things first. First of all, fear comes naturally, right? We don't have to be taught about fear. No one tells a, a little child, okay, it's dark, time to be afraid, right? No, they're just naturally dark. You don't have to tell them that there's an icky monster beneath their bed, right? At night, the lights go off, they automatically become afraid. And not only that, but Fear doesn't leave us when we get older. We still have fears. But you know what we do? We add to those fears of worry and anxiety. 
And so I'm going to use these words, fear and worry and anxiety, interchangeably. But how can you tell what the difference is? Edwards uses this description to kind of def to uh, describe it. He says, fear is like this experience where there's a car racing to you and it's out of and it's out of control and you just barely escape as the car goes by. That's what fear is like. Anxiety and worry is that lingering sense that long after the car is gone, life is fragile and we are always vulnerable. And this is where worry um, breeds and worry uh, manifests itself and where it stays, it lingers there with that sense. Fear, it's, uh, moving on, fear can become intractable. In other words, our minds will continually go to the same thoughts over and over and over. And it becomes like this river that's continually flowing in the same place. And the river becomes deeper and deeper. And the water just goes in that same place over and over and over. And so our fear does that. Our thoughts uh, do that. Our worry and anxiety end up going to the same place. So fear wants to be in control. It wants relief and it wants it now. It makes your mind run and erase and it doesn't want you to slow down at all. It does not want to be still and know that God is in control. Now, fear itself, um, put worry and anxiety aside just for one second, fear itself lives in the past, the present, and the future. And so, Whenever we have fear, we have these physical and we have these emotional responses. And these responses are real that we experience, right? The rapid heartbeat, the shaking, shortness of breath, maybe even uh, dizziness. See, the body reacts to fear as if the event is happening right now. It says, I'm in danger now. Even if this happened years ago, right? That's what happens in PTSD. This event happened years ago, and yet the experience of fear, the body reacts as if it is happening in the very moment. Now, worry anxiety a little bit different than that, because worry anxiety live in the future. It says something might happen. I might lose something. I might lose my health, my 401k, my job, my loved ones. Or someone might laugh at me. They might ridicule me. They might scorn me. They might reject me. Or I might not get something. I might not get a job. I might not get married. I might never get a house. I might not ever be able to retire. Fear as we go on, resists logic. You can give fear all the logic, all the stats, all the Bible verses, and the person can even believe that worry does absolutely no good, but fear is still immune to reason. You can show a person's afraid of flying all the safety statistics that flying is the safest form of travel, and they will still be afraid to fly, because you cannot guarantee that their flight will not be the one exception. And finally, fear and anxiety tend to increase over the years. Why does it do that? Because we have more things. We care about more people, and we watch more news. And if we have a panic attack, now we can add to that fear that the panic attack would happen again. You see, the enemy's plan is to have fear and anxiety multiply in your life. Why is this? Why is this his plan? The reason is, is because worry stops spiritual life, growth. It makes the word unfruitful. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells us this parable of these sowers. And he describes what happens in these four instances where someone sows the seed. Listen to Mark 4, verses 18 to 19. I'm reading from the NIV version here. It says this, Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, 
the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Did you hear that? He says three things choke the word. The deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for things, and the worries for life. See, worries are focused inward. They're not outward. They're not towards God. They're not towards other. Word is about self-protection. I have to protect me. It's not about God protection that God will protect me. And so worry can hear God's word and remain unmoved. And that's how it chokes out the worry of God. I'm, so, I'm sorry. That's how it chokes out God's word. And this is why the enemy wants you to live in worry. This is why he wants you to live in fear. This is why he wants you to live in anxiety. So those are some of the universals of fear, worry, and anxiety. The next question is, how do they manifest themselves in your own life? See, everyone's experience will be different. We've all gone through different things, and no one at all is the same. And so most fear lies in the thoughts that you might not get something, and you can't live without it. You might lose something, and you can't live without it. Something might happen to you, and you won't be able to handle it. So what are some of the usual suspects? Where do they normally come from, right? These are fear for your safety, safety for those that you love, fear about being alone or unloved, or fear about being unloved and the possibility of being hurt, the possibility of being rejected. Fear can be about living a meaningless life. It can be about people judging us and us not being able to live up to the expectations. And there might be fears of things that you might lose. Right? You might lose your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse. You might lose respect from others, purpose in life, your job, your money, your retirement. These fears might be about losing your health or your mind or your life itself. And so, how does this apply to your life? Think things through. What are the fears, the anxieties, and worries that you experience? Now, what we want to do next is we want to take a look at the lies that fear and anxiety tell us. Because fear and anxiety tell us lies all day long. And so we've already looked at some of those, right? We've looked at uh, reason can't be trusted, logic can't be trusted, advice from other people can't be trusted, the Bible can't be trusted. These are the lies that it's telling you. Fear also says, you're not going to be able to make it if you don't get what you, th what you need or what you think you need. Or you are not going to make it if you lose this thing, this thing that you need to know. Worry says this, God is not compassionate. God is not loving. God is not really in control. He is not going to protect you. But maybe you can dispute those first ones about God being loving and uh, compassionate and control. And you can say, yeah, he is, because I've seen it in other people's lives. But the lie comes in then and says, yeah, but he doesn't care enough about you. Yeah, he helps others, but not you. He gives them peace because they deserve it. You don't deserve it. You are not good enough. These are the lies that fear and worry and anxiety tell you. And they tell you that every time you come up with this. And they tell you every day. So we now want to look at the opposite of that. Because what is God's truth? What does God tell us? What do we know about God? We know this, and these are the truths. God is sovereign. God is in control. Look at Nehemiah 9, verse 6. It says this, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, and the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heavens worship you. 
We also know that God directs the courses of nations. Nations themselves God controls. Psalm 22, verse 28 says this, For the kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. We also know that God is loving. Listen to these two verses. Psalm 36, 7. How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. In Psalm 109, 21. But you, O, but you, o God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake. Because your steadfast love is good, deliver me. We also know that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says this, Neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus Lord. And John 28 says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And so that's the truth about fear, worry, and anxiety. Or that's the truth about God as opposed to that. Uh, fear, worry, and anxiety says that you will be separated from God because of this. And God says, no, you will not. And this same loving God who you will never be separated from, he's the God who directs your paths. Proverbs 16, 19 says, The heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. He is one who is guiding, and he's one leading. And we know that God gives us grace for today, and he gives us grace for tomorrow. But you know what's interesting? God doesn't promise a grace that removes hardships. You never hear God reasoning uh, with anxious people like this. You never hear him saying, oh, what are the odds of that happening? Ah, you don't need to worry. Or, don't worry, I'm not going to let bad things happen to you. No, what does he say? He says this, Matthew 28, 20 says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isaiah 41, 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God cares for you. That is a truth. I'm going to read some from uh, Matthew 6, 25 and 33, some portions from this, and listen to the, what God says here. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. So, in times of fear, in times of worry, and in times of anxiety, you need to ask yourself these two questions. What are the lies that this fear is telling me? And what is the truth that God is telling me? Those two things. So, we've looked at the experience of anxiety, fear, and worry, both universally and of yourself. We've looked at the lies of fear, and we looked at the truth of God. So, now what I want to do is turn the corner, and I want to look at the different ways that God provides for us. Now, God provides for us in 
uh, so many, many different ways. We can't even pretend to know all the ways. And even if we knew the ways, there's no possible way that we could look at them all today. So we want to pick out just a few of them. The first one is just ordinary means. We have jobs, we have houses, we have food, we have family, we have churches. God provides all of these things. You know, we often look, overlook that fact. We think either we've worked for this all or it's just there. It's just the way life is. But these are all things that God provides us. And this is one of the ways that God provides these things for us. So the second one I look at is what Ed Welsh calls the manna principle. So we've been going through Exodus as a church, so we're already familiar with the story. God miraculously rescues the people from Egypt. And now they're out in the wilderness. And they have no food. And they grumble and they complain. And the Bible says God hears them. So reading from Exodus 6, 9, uh, chapter 16, verses 9 through 12, once again, portions of this, um, it says this, Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord says to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel, and say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. God heard their prayer, and he answered it. He sent the manna from heaven for the next 40 years, continually, no interruption whatsoever. He fed them. And they saw the glory of God. They knew that this Lord was their God. I want you to notice one thing, too, about this. What did you think of their prayer? Right? They were grumbling. Not exactly a model prayer, right? There's complaining, there's grumbling, there's self-pity. And what does Scripture say? It says, God heard their prayer. And God answered their prayer. See, God doesn't hear you because of the quality of your prayers. He hears because he is the Lord who hears, right? And if he hears and he loves them and he answers them, he will hear you and he will love you and he will answer you as well. And also, notice one thing about the manna too. The manna they got was good for only one day. They couldn't save it up for the next day or the next week or the next month. It was only good for one day. So they had to rely on God day in and day out for 40 years. If God didn't provide, they didn't eat. Jesus teaches us that same thing and that we should have that same attitude. And that should be our same prayer. He says to pray, give us this day our daily bread. So the next uh, way I want to look at is what Ed Welch calls the 11th hour deliverance. And so these are deliverances that come at the last minute, right before the clock strikes midnight. And we've all heard stories about uh, these kind of things. Um, but this happens as the Israelites are first fleeing Egypt. God brings them out of Egypt. Pharaoh then gathers his army, and he pursues them. They're chased to the shores of the Red Sea. And there's a sea in front of them, and there's an army behind them. There is nowhere to go. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. They are exposed. They are weak. Defeat seems definite. And then they cry out to God, because he is the Lord who hears. And God answers them. And in Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, Moses tells the people this. He says, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see, you shall you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be 
exile. And the Lord delivers them at the eleventh hour. The last midnight, right before the clock strikes midnight, God delivers them. And they see the salvation of the Lord. And sometimes God will work in your life like this. Maybe he already has. Maybe right now this is one of those times that he's working this way in your life. Now, the last way or the next way that we want to look at is what Ed Wells calls deliverance after hope dies. Let me say that again. God delivers after hope dies. And I want to quote him directly this time. And he says this, Eleventh hour deliverances, spectacular as they are, were actually just a prelude to something even more dramatic. As you read through scripture, there is this gradual progression. Initially, deliverances are at the last minute. But by the time the New Testament comes around, they are delayed to the point where even those who are tenacious in clinging to God have lost hope. So, think of Lazarus as you think about this, right? Lazarus is married and Martha's brother. He is very sick. The sisters send word asking Jesus to come to him. And Jesus delays. And Lazarus dies. And hope dies. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus goes to them. And these women, full of faith, say to Jesus, If you had been here, he would not have died. See, they had faith that Jesus could have performed an 11th hour deliverance. Jesus tells them, your brother will rise again. Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. See, they knew Jesus could give that 11th hour deliverance, but they could not conceive of a deliverance after hope had died. So Lazarus was buried in a tomb. They had rolled the stone in front of the tomb. And Jesus says, take away the stone. Martha says to him, Lord, he's been dead for four days. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And Jesus raises him from the dead. He brings him back to life, and God is glorified. Think now of Jesus' death. And think about specifically the experience of his disciples, right? Jesus' Jesus's disciples give up everything to follow him. He is the Messiah. He's the promised one. He's the Savior of the world. And he is killed. He is crucified. And when he dies, hope dies. The disciples don't know what to do. They cannot imagine a deliverance after hope dies. And Jesus rises from the dead, and his true glory is revealed. And all who believe in him are now saved. And that is you and me as well. If we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we will be saved. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. But the disciples don't know what to do, and they don't know this. And Jesus appears to the disciples. In John 19 through 21 tells us, or John chapter 20, 19 to 21 tells us his story. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and he stood to them, and he said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed him his hands and his sighs. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As my Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Two times in their fear and their uncertainty, Jesus says, Peace be with you. This is what he says to us as well. During our times of fear, during our times of uncertainty and worry and anxiety, he says, Peace be 
with you. And he means his peace to be with you. Now, you may be going through any one of these four different situations right now. You still may be working in these times. You may be healthy. God may be writing in the normal way that he always does. Or God may be writing you manna. God is taking care of you day by day and only day by day. And you realize that this is only because of God's kindness, compassion, care, and provision. Maybe he's given you an 11th hour deliverance. Maybe you've been out of work and there's been a bill that was due and God has miraculously provided the money. Or maybe you've been ill and very, very sick or one of your loved ones was and God has healed them. But maybe for you, hope has died. Or maybe for you, it is in the process of dying. Mickey's cousin has been going through all, all of these situations. And at first, she continued to work. Then she worked, but she took a 30% reduction in pay. Now she's furloughed. Now she's out of work. She has experienced all of these things. But know this, wherever you are in this, God is faithful. And he will deliver you, even if it's after hope has died. And remember this too, just because hope has died, doesn't mean your faith has died. Think of Lazarus' sisters. They still had faith. They knew that he would rise again. They still had faith that Jesus Christ can deliver on these, these 11th hour deliverances and stuff. Just because you struggle with these things doesn't mean that your faith has died. Remember that. And remember that there is hope after hope has died. And there is faith during those times as well. So, how do you work through your faith in these times where hope has either died or it is dying right now? First of all, hope in the Lord because he is the God who hears our prayers. Hope in the Lord for he is the God who hears our prayers. Think about Job. God says there is no one like him. He's blameless. He's upright. He fears the Lord. He turns away from evil. And then Job loses everything he has. He loses his livestock, which is his income. He loses his children. He loses everything. Everything is gone. And Job struggles, but his faith is still strong. And he says, the Lord give and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Then things get worse. He loses his health. And he's there on the ground in poor health, um, just in pain and in suffering. And listen to what he says. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. After Job's hope has died, after he's sitting there, Job still hopes in the Lord. Job still hopes in the Lord. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. But how do you prepare yourself for that? How do you prepare yourself to be able to say in the midst of all that, with a faith that's strong enough to that, to say, even though he slays me, I will still hope in him. Um, one of the ways that you do it is you hope in the Lord because he is the God who hears our prayers. And the way you do that is you think now how he will deliver in the future. See, worry looks in the future and it sees disaster. Faith looks in the future and it sees deliverance. Right? We can look at Abraham and his son Isaac for this story. Um, Abraham prays to God, prays to God, for God to give him a son. And years go by and nothing happens. Abraham is now a hundred years old. His wife is 90 years old. Hope has died and then God gives him a son. 
Years later, God asked Abraham to take this son that he gave him, this promised child, and offer him up as a sacrifice. And hope for a son, once again, seems, seems to be dying. But Abraham is willing to obey God because he knows that God is the God who delivers even after our hope has died. And we read in Hebrews 11, verses 17 and 19, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. See, God never did have Abraham sacrifice his son. He stopped him, and he provided another offering. And this picture of Abraham being willing to give up his son Isaac becomes a picture of God, who did indeed willingly give up his son Jesus Christ to die for us, to take our punishment from sin, so that rising again, his sins, our sins might be forgiven, and we might brought into salvation, into his family, into his glory, into heaven. But Abraham, Abraham did not know this at this time. What he knew is that God was asking him to give up his son. But he knew this, that God could raise him from the dead. He knew that he could have hope in God, even if hope seemed to be dying. And we can have that same hope as well. So I want to move on, and I want to look at what are the things that God calls us to do. And these are some more of the uh, practical things. So, first of all, the first thing we need to know is that, or the first thing that we need to do, I should say, is that we need to listen to what our fear and anxiety and worry says to us. Because sometimes they are legitimate things, and we need to uh, be aware of them. If fear or thing coming up, you're mis mishandling your money or whatever it is, and you're worried about that, that's kind of a legitimate thing that says, you know, I need to make a budget. I need to stick to it. I need to do those things. Um, other things are just, uh, you know, just smart things. So is what you're worried about legitimate? And if it is, what actions can you take forward? But the other reason why we need to listen to our fear and worry and anxiety is because it's going to reveal to us what our allegiances are. It's going to tell us what we trust. It's going to tell us who we trust. What is it that we treasure the most? And that's going to give us a clue as to what to do. And when you do this, when you listen to it, try to find the specifics. What exactly is it that's bothering you? See, if it's a general fear or anxiety, it's too slippery to catch. You can't grab onto it. You need to drill down and you need to find out exactly what this worry is so that you can fight it. Now, Sometimes your fear or worry and anxiety may become, may, the cause of it may be some sin that you have not dealt with. Edwell says this, and I'll put him directly on this. He says, start with confession. Any journey back to the kingdom of God must go through confession. Anxiety is a string around our finger reminding us that something else has become our so then what we do is we repent of our sins. We ask God to forgive our sins. See, God's desire is that you repent. Second Peter, chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So examine your heart. Confess your sins, your past sins, your secret sins, your current sins. And Jesus, God, 
has promised that he will forgive your sins. Listen to 1 John 1.9. In fact, memorize 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then what we do is we put to death our sins. Romans 6, chapter 6, verses 11 to 14. Listen to how clear this is. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin and in, as an instrument for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. We need to put the sin to death. Next, do you know what God's most frequent commandment is? God's most frequent command is, do not be afraid. Over 300 times in the Bible, God says, do not be afraid. Now, to say do not be afraid sounds like something that's impossible, doesn't it, right? It feels like someone is saying to us, do not be hungry. We can't, it seems like we can't do it. And yet God says, do not be afraid. But listen to how he says it. Listen to these two passages. Once again, go back to Isaiah 41.10. He says this, fear not, for I am with you. Be not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with righteous, with my righteous right hand. And Luke 12, 32 says this, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God is your Father, and He loves you, and He cares for you. He is also the King of the kingdom, so He has the power, and He has the ability to protect you, to uphold you, to strengthen you, to provide for you. And not only that, but he says, this is my pleasure. This is what I want to do for you. This is, I'm doing this because I want to do these things for you. So we don't pull ourselves up the, by our bootstraps. We don't make ourselves not be afraid. But we go to the Father, we go to the King when we are afraid, and we ask him to strengthen us, to uphold us, to provide for us. And he does this. And he also comforts us, and he gives us his peace. And then we do two things. We be still, and we run to God. See, fear is impatient. It wants things now. It wants to race, and it wants to run. But God tells us in Psalm 46.10, he says this, Be still and know that I am God. When anxiety starts to overwhelm you, when your skin is crawling, when you're uh, having difficult breathing, when your heart is just pounding and you can't sit still, stop and be still before God. Find a chair or find a place to walk or find a journal to write in and slow down and take your thoughts captive to obey Christ. And then, then run to God. Run to Christ. Proverbs 18.10 says this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. So run to God during these times. The opposite of fear is peace. Cast your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Pray with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God 
which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the peace that God promises. This is the peace that God gives us. Then trust and obey him for your daily bread. Seek him first. Seek his righteousness. These things will be added on to you. Rely on God. Rely on the one who raises from the dead. And then finally, look outside. Look outside yourself and reach out to those that are around you. Pray for one another. Help one another. Fellowship with one another. I want to close with these final thoughts. God has said this to you. I am your refuge and your strength. I am an ever-present help in trouble. I will be with you, even to the ends of the earth. No one can snatch you from my hands. Nothing can separate you from my love. My peace I give to you. Let me close in prayer. Father God, we come before you, Lord. We come before a God who hears our prayers, who listens to us, Lord. We come before a God who uh, promises to provide for us, to strengthen us, to sustain us. A God who, is, who has promised to give us peace and to give us comfort. A God who will provide all these things, Lord. So during these difficult times that we don't know what's going on, and we can't tell the future, Lord, we come before a God who is in control, who is who has created this earth, who has ordained these things, Lord, a God who is compassionate and caring and loving and kind, who cares not only about the entire world, but who also cares about us as people. So Lord, we just pray that you'll give us your peace, give us your spirit, give us your strength and your power in these times. In uh, your precious name we pray, amen. You know, there's this sermon, we talked about so many different things, anxiety, fear, worry, uh, what our experience is, uh, the lies that it gives us, the truth that God gives us, some of the uh, ways that God works in our life and these practical things. And really there was, we only scratched the surface, there's so much uh, behind this as well, and so many ways that it manifests itself. So what we at King and Grace want to do is to... Um, offer some more time that we can discuss this. And so what we want to do is starting next Tuesday, uh, April 28th uh, at 7.30, for seven weeks we want to go through a Bible site. So Ed Welch, who uh, wrote the book that uh, I quoted from often, also has a uh, Bible study book that's called What I Am Afraid, a step-by-step -step guide away from fear and anxiety. This is a seven-week study. It's, not, um, it's based on the book, but it doesn't go through the book. And what we want to do is... Uh, starting April 28th at 7.30 via Zoom, is we want to have just a study that goes through there. We want to take seven weeks and kind of see if we can apply this to our own lives. And so we're going to put some information on the website and on Facebook. Uh, I encourage you to uh, get that book. Uh, probably have to order it now for it to be in there. Um, once again, it's called What I Am Afraid by uh, Ed Welch. And uh, if you can't uh, afford the book, let us know, and we'll make sure that you uh, have a book. But once again, that's um, start next Tuesday, April 28th at 7.30. It's going to be a seven-week-long uh, Bible study on fear and anxiety. So hope you could make that, and God bless. Thanks so much. Have a good day.